we come to a place where we, we, we need a book that is going to show us the supremacy of Christ because that's what's going to cause when, the, when, when we're leaving in our hearts Christ and when we're leaving the revelation of the true Christ, Joe, this is what's going to get us back. This is what's going to put revival fire back into our hearts. This is what it's going to cause us from leaving this and coming back. So today, I want to pick up in verse se- or chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews and I want to talk about fight for what is right. Fight for what is right. And uh, we're going to look at that today. So Hebrews 7, and we're going to start in verse 21, and we're going to read. And uh, we, want, we, wanna, we, we don't want to go back to what's passing away. We want to stay with what is, what is eternal. And we said there's four really big things in the book of Hebrews that the writer Gabe said. And that was this, that he was going to show us the supremacy of Christ over angels because we know in the, in the old uh, uh, Judaism, we know that angels played a prominent role in everything. We see that. We see they're there in the garden. We see them uh, at the beginning of creation. We see them placed there whenever man sins and he has to be put outside of the garden. We see angels or cherubim are guarding the way back in so they don't get access to the tree of life and remain eternally in a sinful state. That was the mercy of God. I talked about that yesterday at, 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 at the funeral. I talked about how God, really death is the mercy of God because God was stopping mankind from staying in that eternal sinful state forever. And that's why he did that. He barred us from access for that so that he could enact his plan of redemption so that then we could come and taste of the tree of life and be healed and remain eternally in a new created state. It's absolutely the best plan in the absolute world. I believe it with all my heart. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'll believe it till my dying breath hopefully and 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 so uh, by God's grace I will and so so we see this that he's greater than angels they were there at the birth of the, our Savior they were there when the when the law was given angels played a prominent role coming to Mary coming to Elizabeth we see angels and so when the writer writes this book to people who are thinking about going back he's saying don't go back to angels don't go back to to, to what the, to what you believe there put, put it in Christ 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 is superior to angels. And we saw that in the first chapters, how he mentioned that Christ being superior to angels. And then we saw in the chapters after that, that Christ is superior to Moses. The whole old law and the covenant and Judaism, Moses was the man, right? He's the deliverer. God literally hid the body of Moses. And I think that was for good reason because man, Jews put a lot of emphasis on Moses as they should. But he's the writer of Hebrews is saying, why would you go back to Moses? Moses was a good deliverer. He delivered people physically, but there's one greater than Moses and he has delivered mankind from sin forever. And he, so why would you leave to go back to Judaism when you can stay with Jesus who is supreme to Moses? And then today we're going to look at how Christ is supreme to the Aaronic priesthood. And we kind of looked last week a little bit at this and we're going to look today at this, at the high priesthood. There, there is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we know that the law and Judaism instituted temporarily a priesthood through Aaron. And God is writing, the writer here is writing to say, why would you go back to the Aaronic priesthood? Those men are fallible. Those men die. Some of them died before they finished out their term as priest. These guys could go in one time a year at the Holy of Holies and they could offer a sacrifice, but they had to offer a sacrifice for themselves because they're sinners. 
And then they'd have to do it again the next year because they're going to fail a few days later and they have to do this every year. But you have a high priest that is eternal. You have one that was appointed by God with not only a promise of God, but with an oath of God. And he's gone in forever into the holy place. And he's an anchor for your soul. That hope in him is an anchor for your soul as we saw last week. And you can hold on to that. He's the forerunner. And we said how the ship would come into the harbor and when a ship couldn't get over the sandbar that was there, then a little boat would come out, get the anchor, take it all the way into the port and, and, and would anchor it into the port there so that it wouldn't, it would, when the storms of life came, it would be secure. It wouldn't fly, go back out into the ocean and be lost into oblivion, but it was anchored there. And then at the right time when the tide would rise, the boat, because it was anchored, would go right on into the harbor. And folks, we are anchored. Those that have put Jesus Christ as their Lord, he, the forerunner has gone in behind the veil, anchored us in. It's sure. It's a surety right there. And folks, we are in that sandbar. We can see heaven just in sight. And when that tide rises soon, we're going to go on into our heavenly city. Amen. Whose builder and maker is God. And it's going to be awesome. But here's what he's saying today in the writer of Hebrews. And we're saying it's fight for what is right. Hebrews 7, verse 21. Let's look at these passages of Scripture together. For they have become priests without an oath. So what he's saying is these these other priests, these other high priests that were set up under the old covenant and the Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, man, they didn't become priests with an oath by God. They didn't swear by an oath or anything. But he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent that you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He swore an oath. He's got a promise and an oath. He swore an oath about this priest. He swore an oath about this high priest that he's a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This weird figure that we're going to talk about in a minute. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant than the old one. Also, there were many priests because, there were, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Unchangeable. Look at the next uh, passage. And therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is Listen to what it says about him. Listen to what it says about your king and your high priest. And by the way, in the old covenant, you couldn't be, Russell, high priest and you couldn't be high, a king at the same time. Only this, this, is, this Jesus is both king and priest. Listen, for such a high priest was fitting for us and he is holy and he is harmless and he is undefiled and he is separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens, the Bible says. What a God. Look at the next passage of Scripture. Is there another passage? I can't remember. After that, that's it. He's become perfected forever. So, so we'll come back to that reading in just a second, and we'll tie all that back in to what I want to tell you about what we fight for. Now, most of us in this room have had, like, foolish arguments, right? I mean, all your years of marriage are going to renew your vows. You haven't had these stupid arguments, have you? Right? Like, like, like putting, like, I'll give you a, for instance, like buying a product 
bringing it home and deciding you're going to do a job together with your wife or something. You know, we're going to build a shelf that we got, like a bookshelf. Fortunately, Uncle Bill came over a few weeks ago and we had a new bookshelf and I blame work. No, I'm kidding. And Bill helped my wife put together the bookshelf. Well, they sounded a little bit like me because I could hear them every now and then. They sounded a little bit by me because she was reading the instructions and I heard, I heard the voice that sounded just like us when we're in there. It was like, no, I think you need to turn it around. No, I'm not. It's right. And I'm hearing all this little squabbling coming out of that room in there. And you know, that's what happens. A lot of times, uh, if you're like me, I heard a pastor was doing this. He lives in France and they have bought a bookshelf together or a shelf for their garage. And they were in there, he and his wife, and they bought this. And, and it was a comical. It reminded me just of me because there he is. He throws the instructions to the side. It's supposed to snap together in place. He's got the pieces. He's trying to snap them together. And he's mumbling just something like I would mumble, piece of junk, cheap piece of junk. And you know, he's won't fit, won't go together. And she said, honey, you've got it backwards. I'm reading the instructions here. And you know, he's just like, oh, no, no, it's not. And then all of a sudden he turns it around and it snaps right into place. They get the shelf built in about an hour. The next shelf they have is just like it takes about 10 minutes because uh, she was right. As usually my wife is right in those instances too. And it all comes together and, and looks good. But you know what? Those are silly arguments, aren't they? In the grand scheme of things. Those are not even worth arguing. But there are things that are worth arguing. That's not worth getting into or losing sleep over, but there are battles that are worth getting involved in. And it bothers me that this society does not want to fight those battles. They're, the Christians are, are passive and, and, and lukewarm and, and, and don't want to involve themselves in the battles that really need to be fought. And, and, and that's why today, fight for what is right. That's what we're going to learn the writer is writing here in Hebrews. Hebrews 7, that he's writing that there are battles that we should engage in as believers and that, and that uh, they, when they come up, that we should get involved in. And that's what we see in chapter 7. We see this obscure name. We see this name that comes up by a man named Melchizedek, this priest Melchizedek. And he's a very obscure person. He's a very interesting person. He's only mentioned two times in the Old Testament. He's mentioned in Genesis 14 and he's mentioned in Psalms 110. Twice we see see this guy show up just for a minute, but he's mentioned nine times in the book, Margaret, of Hebrews. Nine times. Why is this guy mentioned nine times in the book of Hebrews? He's mentioned just twice in the Old Testament, but nine times here in these passages between the couple of chapters, he is mentioned nine times. Look at what Hebrews 7, 1 says. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, which a lot of people believe was Jerusalem, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning. Look, notice the word. I want you to see it. Sometimes it's worth fighting battles, Terry. Listen to what he says. Returning from the slaughter. Returning. I want you to remember that in a minute. Returning from the slaughter of kings. And, and Melchizedek shows up after this slaughter by Abraham and blesses him. Sometimes it's time to fight. Some battles are worth fighting for. 
And this guy gets the blessing for some reason we're going to find out in just a minute. This obscure man shows up, this, this, this guy shows up and blesses him, returning from a slaughter of these kings. Now why is that happening? And so to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part uh, of all, first being translated king of righteousness, uh, the Bible says, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, And then without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. Now what the writer is doing is he's showing us this contrast between Melchizedek and Christ. But in reality, when you go into the Old Testament, you see that Melchizedek is literally a king. And a lot of people dispute this. They wonder if it's an epiphany. But it, it tells us that he is literally a king that received tithes there from Abraham and the reason he's called by God he's not called by man not like the Aaronic priest uh, you know or whatever Uh, he's called by God he's without father or mother and that means what that really I believe means is he got into this position because he was called by God. It wasn't his genealogy because you had to be of the tribe of Levi to get into the the, the Levitical priesthood or the Aaronic priesthood. It was your genealogy. I couldn't just be born and say I want to be a priest. No, you were born into a certain lineage and a certain genealogy and that's what we see with this temporary priesthood. But we see here this thing is eternal. This goes way back before Israel as a nation. We see a priest that was there. We don't know his genealogy because he's called by God and Jesus Christ is going to follow this and he's going to come after the order and after the priesthood of Melchizedek and it's going to be eternal. Amen? And so he's pointing us back to something and saying this guy was called by God. He didn't, have, he didn't get in behind it but, but because of his lineage. He didn't get in because he belonged to a certain tribe or a certain group of people. God came along and said, I'm calling you. And, and, uh, and so we have this obscure individual that we see coming in the Old Testament. He is a priest. He was no, it says that uh, he has no father or mother of this priestly lineage. He has no heritage here uh, to draw a comparison to Christ. And the question is, why does this guy suddenly show up at this point in Abram's life? Why is he going to show up at just this time? And what is he doing here? Well, if you go back to Genesis 14, the Bible's going to tell us a little bit more about this, this guy. So go in the Bible to be up on the screen. But in Genesis 14, it says, And it came to pass in the days of uh, Amraphel, the king of Shinar, Arioch, the king of Elisar, Cal, oh man, I practiced this so good. I listened at the pronunciation. <sighs> Kedar Lamar, or something like that. King of Elam and Tidal, king of the nations. Four kings right here are going to come and fight against five kings. And I want you to look at something because the Bible is so awesome for the Bible nerd and all those others. This is so cool 
Because this is what is taking over and captivating people right here. And it's the same tool Satan always uses to captivate people on the face of the earth. This is what these kings that are doing, the four against the five, and this is what their names mean. And Satan is nothing new under the sun. This is how he always attacks us. So the first one was uh, Amraphel, and he is the king of greed. He is coming, and he is his name means king greed. And he's coming to captivate the people there uh, that, are, that are there. The second king was Arioch, and he is the king of power. And he is coming down to, to, to capture the people there. The third one, you know his name, was the king of deceit. And he is the king of deceit. He's coming with deception. That's why our youth are learning about the deception. Jesus said in Matthew 24, over and over again, watch out in the last days because this king of deception is coming to deceive the whole world. Amen? And then we had title, that last king that's coming to fight here, and he's the king of fear. How many think he's been alive under the last two years of COVID? Because the whole world in America and the whole world has come under the what? Fear. 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 That's why a lot of these seats are empty around you right now. Because they have come under this king and they are fearful. And I realize that, rightfully so, in a lot of situations. It's been a fearful couple of years. But they've come under the seduction of this fear fear from this king. And so this, this is what the world is dealing with at this time. This is what's going on. But Abram has decided it's, it's not worth getting into this battle. He's not. There are some battles worth fighting and he's not involved in this worldly battle. He's not caught up in this yet, the Bible tells us. So why, why would he get caught up? We're going to see in just a minute. He's not caught up in this battle until, anybody got a guess? Come on. Until, thank you, Margaret. Ding, ding, ding. Until they capture Lot and his family. Now it's worth entering the battle. Right? It's my family. It's my family. Come on, now there's some fight, those them some fighting words. Now it's worth entering the battle because he's got my family there. And so, so whether I want to get in the battle or not, I, this, this, it was not a fight before, but now there's a reason to engage. It was a worldly fight, but now Abraham gets involved when Lot is captured, when those other people that, that he loves are captured. When it comes to family, this is the battle that we fight. We got to fight for our families. Amen. See, a lot of those things in the world don't concern me, right? But when it comes to my family, it concerns me. Right? Yes. When it comes to my family, it, 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 when it comes to the family of God, it concerns me. Right? It concerns me a lot. And, and so these families have been touched. What, well, how did they get to this place? Well, you remember, if you go back to Genesis, you remember what happened? They, God's called this man out of uh, Ur of the Chaldees. He's now coming. Lot is coming with him. And as they travel, they begin to be blessed because of Abram. And all of a sudden, they begin to increase in herdsmen. They increase in cattle. They increase in all their livestock. And it gets so big that they decide, man, we, we, they're 
there's beginning to be squabbles and all kinds of things going on. And so they begin to say, it'd be better if we separate. And you remember Abram uh, begins to trust God and he says, I tell you what, you look and you decide where you want to go. And what do we know about Lot? Lot's a carnal man. Lot's a very man that goes by the eyes. And, and, and so Lot makes a lot of poor decisions. But Peter later calls him, and so does the book of Hebrews, calls him a righteous man. He's a very interesting fellow as well. But Lot makes some bad decisions and it affects him. How many know your decisions affect you? Young people don't think the decisions you make right now that are not good decisions. You think I can catch up later if I do these foolish things. They won't affect me. They will affect you. They will affect you desperately and they'll affect other people. And so will you, Father. And so will you, Mother. And so will just that one night of slipping out and going to have a good time away from the family. And it can get that one decision can put you into captivity. Amen? That one foolish decision can cause years of misery, heartache, and, and, and difficulty in your life. And so Lot looks and he sees the lush green plains of the Jordan, the Bible says. And that's where he decides that I'll take that. And I was thinking about that. I was putting myself in that place this morning. And I was saying, God, I'm not so sure, sadly, to say. I mean, be on, let's be honest with God. He knows your heart. A lot of my decisions in life and a lot of my urges, I mean, I, right now we're facing things in this world where we're having to make decisions. And, and I'm thinking he's looking at a brown patch of desert over here with nothing. You can't grow anything over here, Oscar. But I can see water and I can see city and I can see food over here. It, it's, it, that's, a, that's a draw. How are we going to eat? Surely God understands. I've heard all the excuses and I made a lot of them myself. And so this guy looks and he sets himself over here. And, and it, so he just sets his tent. And this is what happened. He just sets his tent toward there. Just where he can see it. Come on, that's how some of you do with the world. You just dance a little bit close to it. I'll be the designated driver tonight, but I won't touch it because I don't do those things. But it ain't long before your tent begins to mosey on down right into the midst of things, and you're right in there with them. And that's where Lot is. Now he's at the gate of the city, working with the leaders of the city, making decisions there in the gate. And so we come to this place where these four kings come against these five kings and now this battle ensues. Abraham's not going to concern himself until it involves family and, and, and now that Lot has put his family at risk, Abraham decides, I got 318 men and I'm going to come into the fight and I'm going to go and I'm going to help Lot. And here's the beautiful thing as well. Abram could have come and he could have said, Lot, you scoundrel, you're always making foolish decisions. How dare you do that, boy? You know, are you crazy? Lot does, Abram does not do that at all, the Bible says. He doesn't say stop making foolish decisions. He doesn't tell him anything. He just comes down and goes to the battle and fights for this brother, the Bible says. He gets involved because this guy is, those four kings are taking everybody captive. That greed, that fear, all these things are captivating everybody around that's there in that day and so but and so this guy with just this tiny army 318 how ridiculous 318 men against four kings and their armies but can I tell you one with God is a majority amen just one person with God is a majority and that's all you need John on the Isle of Patmos is there on the Lord's day in the spirit and God comes and shows up and he's given the greatest vision ever in the in the in the in, uh, that we ever see 
And so victory doesn't come because of well-trained men. Victory doesn't come because of your well-thought-out plan. Victory comes because we have the promise of God. Amen? And Abram says, I'm going to fight. I'm going to go against this greed, this power, this deceit, this fear that has captivated the world. And Abram rose up and says, I'm going to fight for my family. And, and can I tell you something? Nobody's going to pray for your family like you're going to pray for your family. You know, I have people always come out and say, Pastor, pray for my son. Pastor, pray for my daughter. Well, guess what? I'll pray for them and the church will pray for them. But you know what? A lot of times, sadly, when I walk around, I'm a human being and I forget. But nobody's going to pray, Oscar, like you're going to pray. Nobody's going to pray for your family like you're going to pray. Nobody's going to have the tenacity like you're going to have the tenacity when you have a son or daughter that is bound up and captivated by these things. No one will rescue like, like Abram would rescue Lot. I mean, that, there's just no way. Nobody's going to rescue somebody in this church like we're going to rescue somebody in this church. This is our family. This is who we rally around. And Abram goes out and he fights, the Bible says. He rescues Lot and his family. And then when he's leaving what Hebrews calls the slaughter the slaughter of kings this guy shows up why why does Melchizedek arise and come to Abraham from this victory and it's really cool because it really really when you get what he's saying and what you discover here when you figure out the answer is that when you get in the right battles there's certain times simple confrontations are meant to happen and they need to happen and they need to happen quickly. And when you get into those battles, uh, then it's worth it and it matters. And I'll give you an example. That same pastor I was talking about earlier said that when his kids were, were uh, young, his daughters were young, they came to the United States. They were from Africa. And they came to the United States and, and their daughters were staying with somebody. I, I want to say it was even a pastor's family or somebody like that that they were staying with when they first got into the States and they asked them that their kids could stay there. They said, would you, we're going to the mall. Why don't you let your kids stay here and with our kids and, and we'll go on. Well, the mom kind of felt a little bit hesitant about it, but they went on anyway and they went to the mall. They weren't gone, but about an hour or so they came back. And when they came back, the two little girls came running up to their daddy and they were crying and they were upset profusely. And the dad said, what, what, what? What's going on? What happened? And they said there was a 14-year-old boy in the home there that had tried to molest one of the girls. There's a time to enter the battle when it's your family. And this dad, something rose up in his heart. And he didn't go get the daddy. He went and got the boy and sat him down in that place. And he said, I, I, I can't tell you what I told him, but I said some few things and they probably weren't too godly. And I said some things to this young man, a lot of godly and maybe some ungodly things. Anyway, they got through all of that and they left. But years later, I want to show you how immediate confrontation, some battles are worth fighting. Some are worth getting involved in. Abraham got involved because it was Lot. This dad got involved because it was his daughter and he wanted to fight for her. 
her and the soul of this man, young man who's doing this to her. And so he spoke to this young man hard and in confrontation. Years later, he gets a letter from this young man. And the young man has, has gone to Bible school and is now called to be a missionary. And he writes a letter and says, I have to see you. I have to see you. You have to know how sorry I am. And I cannot go to Africa. I cannot go to the mission field until I'm released from what horrible thing I did back there. And the reason that that happened is because you confronted me. And it's gnawed in me ever since that day. And he said, I have to have a release. Some battles are worth fighting for. And some confrontation. Folks, stop with the madness of not confronting your children. Stop with all the anxiety. We've got to, we've got to fight. My goodness, we're killing, our, we're killing people by not telling them the truth. These spirits are behind people causing you not to get through the force field and help them. Sometimes it deserves confrontation. The devil's doing a number on us, man. He's keeping people just captive to all these things because you can't touch them because they're so fragile. That's a tool of the devil, man mess with your mind and manipulate you and to keep you from helping them. You got people stuck in things for year after year after year. We're talking 20 years stuck in depressions and stuck in, in, in anxieties and stuck in all kinds of things that happened to them and were spoken over there years ago. And folks, there comes a time, yes, it hurt, yes, it's terrible, but there's a time that we come out from under that and we move forward in the name of Jesus. There's a time to go get Lot. Right? There's a time to go get Lot out from under this. There's a time to go get our sons and daughters. There's a time to fight for our children. Some of them are under the control of greed right now. We don't say anything, you'll hurt them. They may never come back to church. Say something! Power, deceit, fear. Some of the people in this church, you can lovingly call them and say, please, it's time you come back to church. You're going to die over there alone. Right? It's worth fighting for. There's some fights that are worth fighting for. Get in the battle. And simple confrontation can save lives. Deal with situations when they come up. Don't put them off. Don't put them off. The world wants you to put them off. Why does Melchizedek show up at this time? Because Abram goes after his family. That's why he shows up, Daniel. He shows up because he went into the right fight. And he is glad. And he's saying, the heart of God is this. The heart of God is that God went into the fight for his family. When he needed to go into the fight. And he's saying to Abram, I see you. You're going into the right fight. And you're rescuing your family. And so I'm sending my priest to bless you. This is where the anointing is. And so God blessed this man because it's the plan of God. That's the plan of God. That's where we're going next year, by the way, that God's been speaking to me. We've been on a firm foundation. Now it's time to go out with the Great Commission. It's time to go out into the world. Amen. One last push of the Great Commission before God comes. Amen. We're going to take the, com great, the commission to the whole world. And that's what this is all a picture of. Abram, you went out to the slaughter. Abraham, you went to the right battle. Well, so did my son. My son couldn't 
sit by idly in heaven any longer. He was up safely in the throne of heaven and he saw his children that came under greed and under corruption and under the power of Satan and he left the throne of heaven and he went into the world and entered the battle for you and that's got my blessing on it. And so Melchizedek is a type of Christ. And that's what he says in verse 17. Look at it. And the king Sodom went out to meet him. Uh, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. And after his return from the defeat of, you know, and the kings who were with him, then Melchizedek came, uh, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high. That word is El Elyon, and it means most high. He is the most high God. He is the priest of the most high Abraham's learning. And he has blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high. There ain't any higher folks. This is my priest. This is my priest forever who has delivered your enemies into your hand and he gave him a tithe of all. Now in closing, I want to pull it back around to the verses we read at the beginning. Because Melchizedek is a type of Christ. This is what Christ is doing for us. He's going into the world. He's going to fight for us and for our lives. He's going to save mankind from their sins and bring us into eternity with God because He fought for us. Because He fought for us. And so I want to pull it together and I want to look at five aspects in closing of why Christ is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Because that's where we started. These people are leaving, Daniel, to go back to Judaism, leaving Christianity. Why would you do it? The writer of Hebrews is saying, why would you go to a faulty system? Why would you go to a, a temporary system? There was a type and shadow. Why would you go to a system that, that, that is just temporal? One that would just for one year uh, save you for a year. And then you'd have to go back and back and back. And the priest may die before the year and there would be another one chosen. And that why, why would you go back to the Levitical priesthood? And so he takes them back here just like he took us back and showed us Christ is superior to angels. Christ is superior to Moses. Moses was good. He didn't tear Moses down in those chapters. He showed us Moses was the man and Moses was awesome. But there's a man higher than the man and his name is Jesus he showed us that and then he shows them here that Christ there's a greater priesthood than the one you got and it shows us even that this man Abram the father of your faith paid tithes to this priesthood that means this guy's greater than him. And so he's showing us things all in this. And especially if you're a Jew, he is showing them things all throughout this passage that would help them know, wait just a minute, the Aaronic priesthood is not as great as this one who's being set up everlasting as high priest. And so that's what they're trying to show is that surely you wouldn't leave this over here, Christ, and go back to this. And so let me give you these five things in closing. Five aspects that Christ is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Number one is surety. Look at verse 22. By so much more, Jesus became or was made a surety of a better covenant. In other words, all redemption is bound up completely in Jesus Christ. And what he is saying, Amber, is I am going to be your surety that when you fail, that I will be responsible. Yeah. I like the eyes on her. 
When you fail, I'm giving you assurance. Why would you leave to go back to that old system? Are you nuts? Why would you go back to that high priest? Are you crazy? He can't give you that kind of assurity. This is assurance that when you fail, I'm responsible. When Brad Lindsay fails, when the accuser comes to accuse him, next week if he fails, I'll take the bill. I'll be responsible for that. Number two, he said in verse 25, he talks about save. This high priest can save us. He's a surety. He can save us as well. All the way into eternity. Listen to what he says. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. That's the word sozo. And it has so much connotation. I mean, there's so much deep there. It means delivering power, healing power, safety, rescuing, keeping power. All that is tied up in that word save and sozo. He will save you from those situations that come and confront you. We have a high priest who assures us that he's going to take care of us. we got a high priest that assures us that he can save us and save us from no matter what confronts us. And then number three, we got a high priest that intercedes. Therefore, he also is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. In other words, and let me tell you what that can be because we always think of that as just being prayer but that can be prayer and that also can be that the blood continuously intercedes for you. That means when we make a mistake or we make a problem and the devil comes and accuses us the blood is crying out. The blood is crying out. The blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood that, 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 that you know because if they'd have come and accused a few days later after the high priest went into the most holy place on the day of atonement, they get appointed back and said, he came out. We're forgiven, devil. And you know what? But that would have been for a year. But you have a high priest that is eternally in the heaven that is secured with a promise and an oath guaranteeing your salvation and your inheritance into the kingdom of God. Amen? And his blood now continuously cries out, forgiven, forgiven. All who place their trust in me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen? And then number four. For such a high priest was befitting for us or became us. It's identity. You can, this high priest, we can identify. He became us. He became one of us. He said, I'm not going to sit in the portals of heaven anymore. There's some battles I don't get involved, but that's my family. I created them. I created the human race. I am not going to sit back. Uh, Father, I'm going into the battle. He left the portals of heaven and he said, I'm coming into the battle to save you. And folks, I have walked. This is why it says he became us. Marcy, we, did we not? I know Margaret's been there. James has been there. We went to Israel, and one of the coolest things we did was you go right into the old city, and man, we looked down into this place, and all of a sudden they have excavated down, and we went down there, and we, in a few places, you know, the city's been raised and raised and raised, and they'd have to dig way down. But in this one place, they said, this is the actual pavement where Jesus might have walked. And you're walking on, you're walking on streets and you're saying, Gabe, he identified with me. He became us. He literally left heaven and became a man and the word of God dwelt among us. He became flesh. He became one of us and he paid the price. He came down to earth. He walked among us to walk with us. And then number five and lastly, 
He said this in verse 28. I bind all of this with an oath. And I'm the oath. You can swear by no higher than me. I guarantee the promise. It says last week the anchor is bound by two things. Two immutable things. And God is not a man that he can lie. It's bound by his promise and it's bound by an oath. It ain't going to be broke. It is not going to be broke. Heaven and earth can pass away, but my word will never pass away. And so he's saying, I'm guaranteeing that everything that is spoken in this word is yours today. It is, it is guaranteed. It is guaranteed. So fight the right battles, my friend. Fight the right battles. Caleb, there are some cards right there. And I want, if you will, will you pass those out? You can grab a pen too, and I'm going to pray. We're going to do one thing in the altar call. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for this message. We thank you for this church, God. We thank you for showing us that Christ is superior. He's superior to everything. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. And he was telling a group of Jews that were going through difficult times. They were confused. They had lost the revelation of Christ. They were away from it. Their hearts were growing dim, and they began to leave the faith. And he said, why would you leave? Why would you leave when Christ is this? And so he found the key was to showing them Christ, showing them a proper revelation of Christ. We could go into the New Testament and see an example of that in the two men walking on the road to Emmaus. And God and the disciples and Father, that, that after, the after, the, after the death of Jesus, they're confused. Jesus, the one they had put their trust in, is in the grave. Now their revelation of Him, the one who they should have known was the resurrection and the life, now they, 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 it's been skewed and they no longer believe He's the resurrection. And Lord, their hearts are, are downcast and now they don't have a clear picture of Him. And they're walking away from Jerusalem and away from the things of God and their heart is cold. And all of a sudden when Jesus pulls up alongside of them, the resurrected Christ, they, they, they're confused. They don't even recognize him and then he begins to open the scriptures up to them and reveal himself from Genesis to Revelation and all of a sudden their hearts begin to burn as they walk with him along the way and that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing and that's what we're trying to do with this message is, is we're trying to say Brookside Church of God we're trying to tell people on the internet hey if you're away from the revelation of Christ if you're not understanding what's going on in the world if you're confused and things don't look right hey put your trust back in him get the right revelation he's supreme he's the creator he's the heir of all things he's king of kings and lord of lords don't leave why would you leave where could you go you can't go anywhere else how can you how can you escape if you can neglect so great a salvation oh he's the only way the truth and the life and father we just thank you for it and we praise you in jesus name amen here's what we're gonna do we'll play a song in just a minute and i want you to be thinking about this because here's how we're going to close this service out Number one, if you yourself are captive today by one of these kings, maybe you've gotten into a place and uh, you're, 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 you're a lot, lot, you're captive, you're captive. Maybe, the, the, maybe the, 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 the king of greed, the king, you know, it's taken you off course. It's pulled you away from God. Maybe I'm talking to somebody online. You work all the time now. You don't have to. And it's taken you away from the things of God. Maybe power. Maybe, maybe uh, power to climb the ladder. Maybe deceit. 
uh, has, has tricked you and you're trying other religions, uh, whatever, uh, uh, fear. Maybe fear has got so many in bondage today and, and we worry. And, uh, and, and, and so if that's you, if you're captive to something, we're your family and we want to pray with you. And, and the Lord wants to, we want to fight for you. And so we would love to pray for you this morning in that. But, but the second part of this message, and, and I'm here it, it, as we sing, and we'd love to do that with you. We'd love to fight this battle with you. Uh, you know, you don't have to blare it out, but I don't know what you got. You can play whatever you got. But uh, as I was listening to Michael W. Smith, this is how I fight my battle. So you can put whatever you want. But uh, so... Um, but here, here's what I want us to do in closing. I, I, want, I want us to take the card that I've given you. Tomorrow night, we're going to have prayer. We've been doing a prayer meeting once a month, and it's just a few of us. Seven o'clock, we're going to come and pray. And, uh, the, the, and um, what I want you to do is if you know somebody, and we all know somebody, that has been in our family, that has been taken captive, and I want you to, as the Holy Spirit reveals that person to you, I want you to write their name on this card. And then I want you to bring it and put it on this altar. We'll pray before we leave, but we're going to pray over these tomorrow night specifically. But I want to tell you, I want you to pray with them at home because nobody can pray for your family like you can pray for your family. And even if you can't be here tomorrow night, you pray for that person on that card. And what I want you to do over the next couple of months before the end of the year, I want you to pray. Then I want you to engage them. I want you to write them a letter. We're going to make this practical. You write them a letter. You, 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 you send them a card. You go visit them. You pick up the phone and call them. And then you're going to commit to communicate with them over and over. And we're going to go after our family. There's certain people that are worth fighting for. And so, so I'm going to pray, and then I want you to ask the Lord who to put on that card. I want you to put it, keep them in your heart. I want you to commit to doing those things. Then I want you to come put them in this basket before you leave. And I want, to, I want us to pray for them tomorrow night as well. So, Father, we pray right now, God, that you would speak to us, God. Lord, just like Lot, God, Abram didn't, didn't get in all the earthly battles that were going on, but when it involved his family, he went. And that's the heart of the Father. That is the heart of God. That God could no longer step by when the world was taken captive by the sway of the devil. And so he came. And that's why he sent Melchizedek when he was coming back from the slaughter to bless him. Because this is the battle worth fighting for. And God, we want to fight for our families. And so right now, Father, I pray you'd put somebody, drop somebody into every person here, into their spirit. They know somebody in their family or a friend who is taken captive right now by the enemy. And God, we're not going to point fingers at them. We're not going, we're going to love them and to rescue them. And so, Father, we're going to pray and we're going to commit to communicating with them. And we want to see people rescued and won and brought out of captivity. And so, Father, we thank you for that and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.